Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. It's good to, and it's good to be in the Lord's house today. And uh, I looked on my phone this morning, and it said it was 13 degrees in Belfast. And I go, oh my goodness. <laughs> so, I want to thank everyone for being out on a on a cold winter's morning. Um, we have a couple of announcements in the bulletin that I'd like to bring your attention to. Uh, number one being the uh, um, business meeting coming up on uh, the last Thursday of this month, uh, being the 26th, and that'll be at 7 o'clock. And so the uh, nominating committee uh, will be uh, meeting next Saturday and uh, along with the uh, oftentimes will the nominating committee and the budget committee will kind of meet uh, so on Saturday next Saturday morning and uh, we'll just kind of contact those uh, that are involved with that uh, today or in the next day or so uh, and if any of the uh, boards have anybody that they would like to bring on to their board or have any questions or what have you um, uh, we will be, like I said, we will be having the uh, nominating committee meeting uh, next Saturday. And if you want to, those people on the boards, if they would like to just make sure that all of the people that are on the board are planning on staying on, et cetera, that would be good. Any other announcements this morning? Any other announcements? Yes, Anita. Uh, well, Actually, I was going to find, I was actually going to uh, get my copy of the, uh, of the uh, whatever, but I, uh, I think it's on one of, one of my dysfunctional or <laughs> computers, uh, so I'm going to get it from Ian because I know he has it, so, <laughs> and Dottie too, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, there we go. I try to collect that stuff, but then it just goes into an envelope and then I don't know where it is. So, any other announcements this morning? All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. We thank you for the beautiful sunshine and for the beauty of your creation. We thank you that we can be here and worship you. We thank you that we live in a country where we are free to do that. We think of those countries uh, that are that are not open to to the word. We pray that you would uh, just uh, watch over those believers in other countries uh, where they are persecuted for their faith. We pray that you would help us to remember them in prayer and to help. Help us to remember them in, that, uh, in their plight and through their difficulties. We pray that you would help us to be more faithful as we live our lives for you and that we would be a, a good testimony for you. We thank you for the, the warmth of this building this morning and we thank you for each one that is here. We pray that you would open our ears this morning, that you would help us to hear your word, and that you would help us to live according to your word. We pray that you'd watch over Ian this morning as he brings the message and that your Holy Spirit would speak through him this morning. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our call to worship this morning is found in Psalm 122, verse 1. Very short. Psalm 122, 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And uh, so we are thankful that we can be in the Lord's house this morning. Let us turn now to number eight in your blue book. Number eight, Come Thou Almighty King. And let's stand and sing all four verses of number eight. Come Thou Almighty King, amen. Notch lower. <laughs> All right. Come now, Almighty King, help us thy name to sing, help us to praise. Thank you. And if the ushers would now come forward for the morning offering, please.
us pray. Lord, we again thank you for the opportunity of prayer. And we realize and we know that every time we, we come to you in prayer that you hear us and that you know us and you know our needs. We thank you again for the opportunity that we have this morning of, of giving back just a portion of what you've given to us. We thank you for your generosity towards us, and we pray that we would do likewise. We thank you for these gifts. We thank you for how you've blessed our church and in so many ways, and, and uh, we just thank you for that. We pray that you would take this offering and use it to spread your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Our uh, scripture reading this morning will be found in John 10. If you would like to follow along with me, John 10, uh, starting at verse 22, and that will be on uh, page 843 in your pew Bible. John 10:22. <clears throat> At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, <clears throat> I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe me, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. <clears throat> 
Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. <clears throat> now, if you would turn with me to number 575, we will sing, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, Stand and Sing, 575. church. We're going to take some time now to go to the Lord together in prayer. What a privilege we do have to be able to lean on the everlasting arms, to go to our Heavenly Father and to know that He hears us if we are in Christ as His beloved sons and daughters. It's an incredible promise, and we're going to take advantage of it this morning together. Father, it is so good to be able to come to you in prayer. It's good to be able to gather together with our brothers and sisters and to come to your throne and to know that you, the, the mighty maker of the heavens and the earth, you who dwell in, so, in glory so high it's unimaginable, bend your ear to listen to us and to hear us, and not just grudgingly, but lovingly, to bend your ear down to us and to hear us. We thank you, Father, for the gift of prayer. We praise you and we thank you in the words of Moses in Exodus 15 that you are our strength and our song, that you have become our salvation. You are our God and we will praise you 
our Father's God, and we will exalt you. Who is like you, O Lord, among the heavens? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Lord, we praise you that you have delivered us, that when we were in slavery and bondage to sin and death, you came after us in your son, Jesus Christ, and through him have delivered us into freedom and service to you. We praise you and we thank you for the deliverance you've shown to us, for the power of your mighty hand with which you have delivered us. Lord, as we come to you and acknowledge your power and your glory and your holiness, we're made aware of our sinfulness. We confess in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions this week that we've done wrong, that we've sinned. We're prone, Lord, consciously and unconsciously to turn aside from your commandments and rules. We know we haven't listened to your word as well as we ought. That we've rebelled against you and haven't obeyed your voice by walking in your laws, which you've set before us in your word. And so we'll take a moment now to silently confess our sins to God. We thank you, Father, for the assurance we have in your word that if we come to you in Jesus to confess our sins, we will not be greeted with a scowl, but with open arms. We thank you for the word of God which assures us in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And for the assurance of your love in John 3, in these words which are so familiar and sweet to us, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we trust, Lord, the words of Psalm 32 which tell us, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness and the cleansing we find in Jesus and that great assurance we have because of his death and resurrection. I praise you, Lord, for everyone who's here this morning. What a joy it is to be able to gather with your people. What a joy it is to be able to celebrate you together. And um, I, I praise you, Lord, and I thank you for the gift of this church body. I pray that you'd continue to, to be at work among us. Uh, that as Paul teaches in Colossians, that your word would dwell among us richly. That we'd be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We'd be, pointing, we'd be pointed to you, Lord Jesus. That our, 
our faith would not be uh, dry, that our, um, our, our walk with you and with one another would not be rote, cold legalism, but it would be warm with the life of Jesus and the life of the word of God as it comes to life in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for a living faith, for a living church, that you would make us new, that you would revive us day by day by your word as we look to Jesus. We pray, Father, your blessing over the rest of our service this morning. We pray that you would be at work. We pray that you would fill our hearts with joy as we look to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us by your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing number 130 in your green book in front of you. This will be a new one for you this morning. It's a maybe new to you, but it's an old, old psalm setting. It's very beautiful. We'll sing the first verse a couple of times just to get to know it. Lord, from the depths to Thee I cried, my Lord, give ear to me. Oh, hear my voice and hearken to my supplicating plea. Lord, from the depths. Lord, from the depths to
my soul waits for the Lord. We turn to 214. There is one gospel on which I stand for all eternity. It is my story, my Father's plan. The Son has rescued me. Oh, what a gospel, oh, what a peace. My highest joy and my deepest need. my life. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one gospel to which I cling. All else I count as loss. For there where justice and mercy meet, he saved me on the cross. No what I can bring, no more I carry the weight of sin, for he has brought me from death to life, I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one gospel where hope is found, the empty tomb still speaks, for death could not keep my Savior down. He lives and I am free. Now on my Savior I fix my eyes. My life is His and His hope is mine. For He has promised I too will rise. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ.
As we go to the Word this morning, you can open you know, your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. After a long, a long hiatus from our Genesis series, we're finally back. Genesis chapter 24. That's page 16 in your pew Bibles, if you're following along there. Genesis 24. Anew, in every generation, every human generation will have to answer the same, wrestle through the same question. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? We can be taught from the previous generations. We can be taught by our mothers and our fathers in the faith. God can be trusted, right? Those who have gone before us teach us God can be trusted. Many of us in this congregation, um, some have more decades than others, right? Um, but all of us who've been following Christ for, for any length of time can look back and say, through thick and thin, it's been hard sometimes, but God can be trusted. He's never left me yet. God can be trusted. But each of us have to work through this question for ourselves, and to come to our own conviction, yes, God can be trusted. And the fact is, God will remain faithful to his people in every generation. It's our main idea this morning. God will remain faithful. His loving kindness does not fail. He will remain faithful to his people in every generation. Our passage this morning, Genesis 24, is both an ending and a beginning. We've been following the story of Abraham now for 12 chapters. Um, ever since Genesis 12, we've been following the story of this man, Abraham. And, and why are we interested in Abraham? Well, because of the promises, right? Because all the way back in Genesis 12, and then again and again and again, God makes this man, this one guy, Abraham, great and amazing promises. He says, Abraham, I'm going to take you from where you are, I'm going to bring you into a new land, and I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And not only that, but he says, through you, through your descendants, through your family, through this nation I'm going to make of you, I'm going to bless the whole world. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed by God through Abraham. And so this is a big promise. And so we've been trying to pay close attention to Abraham because we, we want to know, too, the blessings of God through Abraham. And we've talked before about how the promises given to Abraham travel down with the people generation after generation, generation after generation. You can follow it through the Old Testament, right? The story of Scripture is the story of these promises as the people of God wait for their fulfillment. Right? And the, the, the greatest climax of fulfillment of these great promises to Abraham, of course, is in Jesus. Right? And we've talked about this, how Jesus is the... Um, He's the culmination of this great line of Abraham, that it's through Jesus, the son of Abraham, that God blesses the whole world, all the nations, through Abraham. Right? So this is all review up to this point. Right? Genesis 24 
marks the end of the Abraham story. When we look at the beginning of Genesis 25, uh, next week, we're going to find that Abraham has died. Okay? So Genesis 24 is the last chapter in which we find uh, Abraham uh, still at work. Genesis 24 is an ending, but it's also a beginning. Here in Genesis 24, Abraham is making preparations for his death. He's making preparations for the next generation. And he's, he seeks to, to see that the promises given to him will continue on to the next generation. That Isaac, his son, too, will continue to, to live steadfastly, believing in the faithfulness of God to his people. My prayer is that as we look at this passage, as we see Abraham trusting God, and as we see God coming through yet again, faithfully blessing his people, and faithfully blessing not only Abraham, but also Isaac, that we, as we consider the, the sweet faithfulness of God as he blesses Isaac and Rebekah, would be reminded of the faithfulness of God. It's, it's not the most complex theological truth but it is in some ways the most basic and the most important to understand God is faithful to his people in every generation. Let's read our passage together and then we'll pray. Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and to take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. 
And before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Naor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. And the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. The food Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan to take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me, but he said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you, come, when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. That the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also, let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, 
Behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camel's drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camel's drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Naor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come before the Lord. The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard the words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of, of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become tens, thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Be'er Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we look to your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is a sweet story. It's a love story. And, um, and um, among the narratives of Genesis, this one in particular holds together well as a, as a unified narrative. It's a long chapter, but it's not worth breaking up because it, the whole thing ties together so well. 
And the theme that ties it all together is the faithfulness of God. That God is faithful to his people in every generation. It's this faithfulness that Abraham looks to in the beginning of the chapter. We're told that Abraham was old, which we already knew. He wasn't young when the Lord first called him. He was 70 when the Lord first called him. He's now well above 100. We're told that he was old, well advanced in years, and that the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Later, his servant recounts all the stuff Abraham's got. He's done well for himself. The Lord's blessed him, just like he said he would. The Lord said, go, come from your land, go to the land, I'll show you, and I will bless you. And, and he did. And blessed not just with wealth, but with a son. Right? A child that Abraham had prayed for for long years. An heir. Right? An heir to the promise. How is Abraham supposed to become a mighty nation if he doesn't have any kids? Right? But through Isaac, here's where this promise can be fulfilled. So Abraham is old and he's blessed. And he goes to his servant. Verse 2, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. This is his CEO, right? Abraham's household is quite a significant thing. He's got so many animals, so many servants. This, this, this guy's the one who's really in charge, particularly by this time. Abraham's old. He, he can't handle the day-to-day -day business anymore. Um, some people suspect this is Eliezer, who's one of Abraham's servants mentioned elsewhere. Probably it is. He's not named here. And Abraham quite dramatically <laughs> calls him to his side. Imagine if your boss brings you, brings you to his office and says this, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. The hand on the thigh apparently was a sign of an, an oath. Just imagine your boss coming, bring you into his office, and he holds out a Bible and he says, Put your right hand on this on this Bible, right, and swear to me before God that you will do what I ask you to do. <laughs> Which makes you ask, what are you asking? What are you asking me to do? What's so important that we're having this whole ceremony? That I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. It seems that Abraham is making preparations for his death. Who would normally be responsible for making sure that his son marries right? It's Abraham, right? But for some reason, he's entrusting this to his servant. And a part of this is there's going to be travel involved, and Abraham's not up for that anymore. So he brings his servant, his most trusted servant, and he says, listen, I'm giving you this task. Make sure my boy marries right. And what specifically does he say? He says, I don't want Isaac to marry the women of the land. Right? He's living in Canaan. This is the land that God has promised him. But he's not the only one living in the land. There's all kinds of people there, all kinds of various tribes living in the land. And, and Abraham says, none of them. I want you to go and I want you to find someone from, from my clan, from my people, back where I came from, and find a girl there for Isaac to marry. So what, first question, why is this so important? Why, why the whole, wouldn't it be easier just to find a girl from the next town over? Or you spare the whole expense and um, Abraham could probably meet her first and 
But no, go back to my family where I came from, and why? Well, Abraham doesn't explain it, but the greater context of Genesis and from Scripture generally, um, we can make a pretty good guess in part because of the promises and pretty much everything Abraham's doing in this chapter is about the promises. What had God promised him? Right? He, he tells us, to your offspring I will give this land. Right? Central to the promises God had given Abraham was this land is going to be yours. And earlier in chapter 15, God said, he even gave the timeline. It's going to be a few generations. Your family's going to multiply and grow. You're going to become a nation. And when that time comes, when the iniquity of the Amorites is fulfilled, right? in other words, when the people living in the land, they're there, and they're in rebellion against the Lord, and the day's going to come where, where their rebellion reaches a breaking point, and God decides to bring judgment upon them and to remove them from the land. Or in other words, the, the time for these people in the land is numbered, and Abraham knows it. Right? He's at peace with them for now. They have good relations. We've, we've looked at some of the treaties he made with them. But Abraham understands these, these people will not occupy the land. The Lord will bring judgment upon them, and, and he's going to give us the land. He recognizes these are a people under judgment. He's not going to marry his boy off to, a, to someone who's under judgment. This, this theme of not marrying the Canaanites starts here, and it goes through the rest of Scripture. In the days of Moses, when Abraham's descendants finally do come into the land, God makes it clear in no uncertain terms, right, you may not marry the people of the land, and the concern there is that the people of the land don't worship the same God, right? And the concern there, and it's a valid concern, because the people do marry the people of the land, and the people of the land do bring the young men of Israel astray, and cause them to worship foreign gods. And this is a problem again and again and again in the Old Testament. And it's not even just an Old Testament problem, right? The Apostle Paul addresses this in uh, Corinthians, not so much about the Canaanites, right? It's not so much about an ethnicity or a nationality. Um, but Paul advises if Christians are to marry, it's only in the Lord. that all sorts of difficulties come about when you yoke yourself to someone who does not worship your God. Because right? inevitably they're worshiping another God. They're going a different direction and all kinds of tension and difficulty ensue. And almost inevitably some kind of compromise becomes involved. Because right? when you've got two oxen pulling in different directions yoked together, one of them's going to give. So what Abraham was advising for his boy, we should advise for our children too. If you're walking with the Lord, don't tie yourself to someone who's going to pull you in the other direction. That's the first thing he makes his servant swear. But then the servant has a follow-up question. Verse 5, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? It's like, it's a long ways. It's a long ways to ask a young woman to go on her own. She'd probably rather live near her family, don't you think, Abraham? If I find the right girl, and she's willing to marry him, but not to move, can I just bring Isaac over there? What does Abraham say? See to it that you do not take my son back there. 
Absolutely not. Right? Verse 8, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Right? Don't worry about it. It's not worth it. Only you must not take my son back there. What's the big deal? It's the promise of God, right? What does Abraham say in verse 7? The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. The problem is the promise. Abraham staked his whole life on this. He left behind everything he had because God had promised him this land. He'd spent decades and decades of heartache living as a pilgrim, a stranger in a foreign land, believing the promise of God, he will give me this land. He just recently buried his wife in this land. He's putting his roots down and saying, I believe God will give us this land. Don't you dare take my boy back. We've sacrificed too much. The promise of God is sure. And to turn aside now would be to turn aside from the promise of God. And notice the reassurance Abraham has through all of this. Right? The, the servant's not so sure. Right? I don't know if she's going to come this far. Abraham has confidence. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Right? If you can't find it, fine, turn around. But I don't think that's going to be the case. Abraham, by this point in his walk with the Lord, has a sense of confidence. Um, he hadn't always. Right? We've followed his whole story. There's times where he's facing all sorts of things, and and questioned the promises of God, questioned whether the Lord would actually come through. But time and time again, he'd seen that God was faithful. And time and time again, even when he was unfaithful, God had shown his steadfast love to him. And so by now, as an old man, looking back across the rest of his life, with Eliezer's question, he says, well, the Lord will provide. He always does. And then the servant goes. Verse 10. The servant took his master's camels, loads them up with, with goodies. Ten camels. This is a huge camel freight train, right? And it's loaded up with gold and all kinds of stuff. And this is a part of the economic arrangement of marriage between great families in the ancient world, right? There needs to be a dowry. There needs to be an exchange, right? And because he's traveling so, so far, he needs something to be able to prove. Look, we're a family of means. We're worth marrying your daughter off to. And so he loads up the camels, and he goes. And he makes it there. That We kind of skip over the whole journey. He makes it to the city of Nahor, which is where we last, uh, we last left Abraham's family. And he has the camels kneel down at the well outside the city. And he has them do so in the evening when he knows the young women are going to come out to draw water. And then he prays. And what does he say? Verse 12. O Lord, God of my master Abraham. Now notice that phrase because that's going to show up again and again. God of my master Abraham. He recognizes the promises God has made, he's made to Abraham. And so he invokes, O God of my master Abraham, 
God of the great promises, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my father, to my master, Abraham. This word, too, I want you to take notice of, steadfast love, or it might be translated in your Bibles, loving kindness. Um, This word's going to show up a number of times in this passage. It's one of the themes in this passage. And the idea is not just... um, not just the sort of the uh, emotional affection of love, but this is a deeper, this is a covenant love. This is a love that makes promises and keeps them. Okay, there's, there's, not even a, there's not really a good translation of this word in, into English, but steadfast love is good, or covenant love. This is love that does what it says it, it will do. This is love that makes promises. And so Abraham's servant is looking to um, the Lord, and he's saying, Show this love to your servant. You've made great promises. Come through. Come through. And he comes up with this arrangement. We've already read it, right? Where um, he's going to ask one of the young women for a drink of water. And the test will be that if she says yes and then goes above and beyond and also offers water for the camels, then that will be the one that God has appointed. So the, the servant's stepping out in faith. He believes what Abraham said, right? Abraham said, an angel's going to go before you. Listen, God's going to lead you right to the right, go- right girl. And so he believes it. He says, all right, let's try this, Lord. Um, let's, let's do this water thing. And in verse 15, before he had finished speaking, right? He's not even done with a prayer yet. And Rebecca shows up. Rebekah, whom we're told, is the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. So this is Abraham's niece. Came out with her water jar on her shoulder. We're told that she's attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And the servant runs the test, right? Hey, could I have a drink? She said, drink, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Now, the reason this is such an effective test is that this is a big job, right? This is a big jar. Camels are big animals. They store a lot of water. In volunteering to to water all the camels, this is, I don't know, maybe an hour's work at least. This This is a significant thing she's volunteering for, right? The bare level hospitality is to offer the man a drink. Above and beyond is, and I'll, I'll water your camels too. And so this is what she does. Rebecca shows herself to be a woman of character. She goes through the process of watering the, the animals. And the servant waits, waiting for this whole thing to play out. Verse 21, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms, weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there a room in your father's house for us to spend the night? He doesn't know who she is yet. So he asks her, Who are you? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of both straw. He says, You're you're welcome to stay the night. And verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. 
cries out, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his, what's the word, steadfast love. Right? On his way into the city, he says, Will God show his steadfast love? Will he keep his covenant promises? And then he goes in, he's kept his steadfast love. He's seen an answer to the promise here. Why? As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Right? Abraham sent him out saying, I want you to marry, I want you to find a woman of my own tribe for my son to marry. And he goes, and the first woman he meets is nephew. Right? And he praises the Lord. Something you'll notice is that the servant talks a lot in this passage. That's part of why it's such a long passage, and we're not going to read everything he says. But the fact that these blocks of dialogue are so long um, should indicate to us there's something important here. Isaac barely, well, Isaac doesn't say anything in this passage. Rebecca barely says anything. Abraham's got a few lines at the beginning. But most of the bulk of this passage is the servant talking. And what is he talking about again and again and again? What would the Lord have us to see again and again and again through this passage? The steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord, right? Outside the city, he says, Lord, show your steadfast love. And he meets Rebecca and he says, thank you for your steadfast love. You have been faithful. You have been faithful. The first of Abraham's criteria has been met now. We found a woman who's of, the, of, of his, uh, his kin, of his tribe. The question is, will she go? Will she be willing to go? So Rebecca runs to her brother Laban. Um, they talk about everything that's gone on. Laban, we're told, sees all of the gold and the jewelry. He goes and he greets the servant. He says, come on in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? You're more than welcome to stay with us. They wash their feet. Lays out a, lays out a meal. Right? And everyone's seated at the table. And Laban says, let's eat. And the servant says, wait a second. Before I eat off your table, you need to know why I'm here. And here we get a very long dialogue. We get Laban telling the whole story. And he goes all the way back to the beginning. He talks about how God originally called Abraham and how God gave him a son, how he blessed him with Isaac, even in Sarah's old age. And he talks about how Abraham had made him give the solemn oath. And he talks about how he met Rebekah out at the well. And he talks about how he realized this is actually Abraham's niece. This is perfect. This is obviously of the Lord Verse 48, well, actually, starting verse 47. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Naor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. He's recognizing the steadfast love of the Lord throughout this. And now he comes to the key question, verse 49. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. 
This is the same word, interestingly. Right? So far, he's been saying, God, show, show us steadfast love. God, you've shown us steadfast love. And now he turns to Laban and to his father, and he says, will you show us steadfast love? Will you recognize the hand of the Lord in all of this? Let me know, because I, I probably don't even need to stick around for dinner if the answer is no. Verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing has come from the Lord. The thing has come from the Lord. This is obviously the work of God. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Decisions out of our hands. It seems obvious this is of the Lord. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And then things get complicated. They eat a meal, right? He shares uh, some of the wealth, right? He, he, um, he gives Rebecca more ornamentation, more jewels. He also gives gold and silver to Laban. And we're told specifically he gives some to Laban, her brother, and to Rebecca's mother. And then everyone goes to bed. And interestingly, who are the two people he hears from in the morning? When they rose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. And her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she, she may go. Now, based on other stuff we know about Laban from the later biblical story, um, it may be that Laban here is interested in, in a little more of the gold and silver on those camels. But for whatever reason, they, they're... they're saying, let's delay this a little bit. And the servant says, don't delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. Listen, you're standing in the way of progress and of the plan of the Lord. Don't delay me. And they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. Let's put this in Rebecca's hands. And, and we hear the voice of Rebecca, right? Verse 58, they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? a lot of weight hanging on this question but for the servant for sure but also for Rebecca can you imagine the prospect for a, a young woman she's, she's being asked to go out alone and to marry a man she's never met to travel hundreds of miles we're not told what was going on in her mind we're told what she said we can imagine though I mean she was there at this well she was there at the table she heard the servant's words she heard him recount how how through all of it it seemed like the steadfast love of the lord was just permeating this whole thing how could it be possible that the first woman he meets is the nephew of his master maybe she's beginning to wonder maybe this is maybe this is the lord in any case she says I will go. I will go. And so they sent away Rebekah with their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And you can imagine by this time the servant is praising the Lord. Right? Praise God. I didn't think it was possible, but Abraham said the Lord would be with me. And look at this. Just like that. 
the steadfast love of the Lord shown to Abraham even in his last days. On Rebekah's way out the door, they blessed her and said, O our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. I wonder if they understood the full import of these words as they blessed her. It, it sounds like kind of a boilerplate blessing, right? May you, may you be great, right? May your family be great, Rebecca. Go with, go with a blessing. And maybe little did they understand that in marrying Isaac, the son of Abraham, she was marrying the father of many nations. <laughs> she was marrying into the line of promise, a line from which would come the Messiah, the King of Kings, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who will, whose throne will reign forever and ever. She was marrying into the people of God. She was marrying into, into that great assembly which stresses, stretches across the centuries who are saved by faith in God and in his son Jesus Christ. Saved into that great assembly of which Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. And Jesus will. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And now we finally see Isaac. Where is Isaac? It's a picturesque scene. It looks like it's from the end of a movie, right? Isaac had returned from Be'er Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. This is like a Luke Skywalker moment, right? Looking off into the sunset over the fields. And the sun, the sun is glowing over the wheat. And he lifts his eyes up and he sees in the distance, just over the horizon, camels coming. I suppose he may have guessed, well, seems about right that Eliezer would be returning now. I wonder what news he has. And as they get closer, that's more camels than he left with. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, now can you imagine her anticipation of this moment, right, as she's traveling? What sort of man will this be? And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? I want, I want to pause here because we should read this reply in light of the whole passage. Through this whole passage, again and again, the servant, Eliezer, probably, has been referring to his master over and over and over again. And who is he referring to when he speaks of his master? Abraham. Every time he's referring, and often by name, Abraham, my, my master. Right? In his prayers to God, he's saying, 
God, would you bless Abraham, my master, pour out your loving kindness upon Abraham, my master, because the promises of God rest on Abraham, my master, right? And when Rebekah asks, who is this man? He points to Isaac. The servant says, it is my master. It is my master. Now, on a practical level, this is, this is true. Isaac's the heir to the estate. He is his boss. But I wonder if there's something, something more going on here poetically. Because in the rise of, of Isaac, all the blessings which were on Abraham are now falling on Isaac. And in the gift of this wife to Isaac, Isaac is tasting the blessing of the loving kindness of the Lord, which he'd been pouring out on Abraham all these years. Here at the end of Abraham's life, he's going to pass away just in the next few verses. Isaac is beginning to taste the loving kindness of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord being shown to a new generation. So she took the veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. A deeply human passage. Moses' Moses's writing doesn't get much more poignant than this in the book of Genesis. She became his wife, and he loved her. And so the blessings of God pass on to the next generation. What Abraham knew with absolute firmness, Isaac was only just beginning to taste. That God will remain faithful to his people in every generation. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. This is true. It was true for Abraham. It was true for Isaac. And it's true for you. If you look to the Lord, his mercies have not run out. He doesn't change. He's not kind one day and hard the next day. He's not faithful one day and fickle the next day. That's us. He's faithful. And to all those who look to him in every generation, to all those who come to him, and by simple faith trust in Jesus Christ, he watches over us with his steadfast love. And he does not change. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what a sweet gift you gave to Isaac and Rebekah. What a sweet gift you gave to Abraham to see his son rejoicing in marriage in his last days. Oh, 
Abraham's life was not always easy, and neither is Isaac's, and neither is ours. Lord, you allow us to go through any number of difficulties and trials, and there's any number of things on our hearts this morning, but there is one thing which does not change. There is one rock upon which we build our whole lives, and that is you, our God, and your faithfulness. For even when we are unfaithful, you are faithful. It's in that we trust. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. And may the steadfast love of the Lord go with you every day, the rest of your life.